Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. You got me shaking, Today we are crossing attempt to pick up a guy using my American accent, or as I like to call it, pull a reverse love actually off the list. If you've seen the movie, you know the part. Colin Frissel flies to America. He's sure that when he lands in Wisconsin, all he has to do is head to any random bar and it will be filled with gorgeous women who will swoon at the very sound of his English accent. And spoiler alert, he's not wrong. Well, my friend Josie assured me that it would be a similar experience for me in Manchester. I was doubtful, but curious to see what would happen. That morning, I had flown from Dublin into Manchester on Ryanair. My friend Haley's husband, Rich, had booked the flights, and he had worked his magic so that I was seated up in the front. The seats up front seemed to attract a kind of magical crowd. More on that on the flight back to Dublin. But this leg also had some magic. The first couple rows of the plane were practically empty until two very handsome pilots, decked out in full uniform, came and sat down next to me. Um, emotional support pilots for the woman afraid of flying? Yes, please. Once I land, I head straight to my hotel, drop my bag, and then on to the Manchester football stadium. The month before my trip, I had binged Ted Lasso. And as a former soccer player, I really wanted to tour the stadium. I decided that fate had put me there and that there must be some magical reason that I felt inspired to book the stadium tour. I couldn't wait to find out what it was. Once on the tour, I realized, nope, no magic. The stadium was nice, but the tour was peopley. Exactly what you might expect for a huge tourist trap. I snapped a couple photos from my Instagram and left wondering why the heck I had felt so compelled to visit the stadium that day. I rushed back to the hotel, get ready for dinner, and head back down to grab an Uber. As I'm waiting for the elevator, I'm mumbling to myself. I'm pissed for wasting what little precious time I had today in Manchester on that stupid tour. Just then, the elevator doors open and a very handsome guy is standing there. I walk in and look at the buttons. Shoot, there's no lobby button. Which button is the lobby, I ask him. This one, he says, pushing the already illuminated G button. Oh, I was thinking that was garage, I say to him. He laughs. No, that's ground. Are you from America? He asks and smiles at me. Okay, is this the accent thing? The doors open and I head to the front of the hotel. The handsome guy heads into the hotel bar. Damn. Oh, well, too bad, but I'm late to meet Josie and our other friend, Jen. I do know that the accent thing might already be working and I'm eager to go around loudly talking to people now. I arrive and Jen and Josie are already seated. It's a small plates tapas kind of restaurant. Very hip, but also pretty loud. I order a few small plates to try and sip on a glass of champagne. Remember, my max for drinks is two and the night is just starting. It's really great to catch up with Josie and Jen. After dinner, Jen has to head home and so Josie takes me to a nearby bar. It's pretty empty. We have a second drink and chat and then she says, let's go get your questions answered. She knows I have an assignment from Fergal. If you listen to the last episode, you know the Irish matchmaker gave me some conversation starters to use to meet men. We head to a bar called Albert Schloss. 
Josie says it will be six men to every woman. I'm not sure I believe her. We walk in and it's wall-to-wall men. There's loud live music playing and it feels like Oktoberfest. Men of all ages, like 20 to 80 are there. And I see a couple women sprinkled in too. The place is huge. I feel like a kid in a candy store. Hell, I feel like an adult in a candy store. Who doesn't like candy? We find a little spot in the bar to stand in and order drinks. Again, it's packed. As I'm sipping on my third glass of champagne, a guy pushes up against me and says, oh, sorry, I'm just taking a photo of my friends. I look over and it's obvious that's not what's happening. So I start chatting with him. I notice his wedding ring right away. Oh, okay, no. What are you drinking? He asks. Champagne, I say. It's the only thing I drink. Can I buy you a drink? No, I say. I'm good. Not only because this guy is married, but also because now I'm on my third drink and I couldn't possibly have more than three drinks. Turns out this guy is a barrister and he's with a group of barristers. They are lawyers and from London for a high profile case. Josie says, how do you lawyers always find each other? I shrug. All of a sudden, a woman with a short blonde bob and a big frilly dress walks up. Well, kind of dances up to the three of us. She looks like an English Brene Brown. She holds a shot out in front of me and says, here, I bought you a shot. Oh, no, thank you, I reply. First of all, I don't drink shots. And second of all, I definitely don't take drinks from strangers. She could have put drugs in it. Yes, she's a barrister, but still, she's still holding it out to me. And third, I'm already three drinks in. Do it, do it, do it. She starts chanting along with the music. Josie joins her. Do it, do it, do it. This must be what they do here. Take shots from strangers. I sigh. I mean, I'm here to be bold. Yeah, bold, not stupid. I start to contemplate taking the shot. Okay, I take the shot. Meanwhile, the married guy is still chatting my ear off. But between the loud music and his accent, I have no idea what he's saying. Are you French? I ask. His accent sounds French. No, I'm from the South. The South of what? I think he must mean England. The married guy disappears, and he's replaced with another barrister in his group. This guy, I can understand. He's telling me about his work and his clients. I decide to ask him Pergil's question. How would you feel if a woman proposed to you? Would you want that? He looks horrified. He stammers, uh, no, no. Shakes his head vigorously, no. Okay, so no, I respond laughing. He tries to explain that he's very pro-women and that he thinks things should be equal and points to the lady who just bought me the shot. She's my boss. I support women. My boss is a woman, but God, no. I stop him. Let me put him out of his misery. I say, I agree with you. I was just curious. Just then, the married guy appears with another glass of shampoo. Actually, he's bought me a French 75. And Josie also bought me another glass of champagne. I put my almost empty third glass of champagne down on the bar next to my empty shot glass and realize that now I have two French 75s and another glass of champagne waiting for me. I grab one of the French 75s and take a sip. Josie says, let's go to the bathroom. I want to show you something. Josie wants to show me the double stall with the disco ball. She pushes the woman's bathroom door open and walks in with her drink. I'm horrified. I once heard that there are floating fecal matter parts in public restrooms that land in your food and drink, and I never forgot that. Who knows if that's true? And also, don't try and explain that if it is, they're basically landing on you instead. Just stay with me. I have an aversion to taking things that will eventually end up in my mouth into a public bathroom. 
So I see a guy leaning up against the wall playing on his phone. I hold out my full new drink and ask him, would you mind watching my drink? I can't take it into the bathroom. Smiling, he agrees to watch it. I place it on the floor next to him and walk away. Now, back in America, or had I only had one drink, I would never leave a stranger to watch my drink. Like, ever, ever, ever. Do not do this. Even though it worked out, do not do this. I follow Josie into the bathroom and she calls me into the stall with her. Check this out, she says, showing me a large stall with two toilets and a disco ball. She closes the lid of the toilet and I take a photo of her sitting on one of the toilets. Once back outside, I walk back over to the guy and he's been joined by a second guy. I thank them for watching my drink and start to walk away, but then Josie says, ask them. Oh, I say, turning back to the two guys. Can I ask you a question? It's research for my podcast. Would you want to be proposed to? How would you feel about that? The original guy shakes his head and says, no. He wants to be the one who does that. His friend, who's wearing a wedding ring, says, it would depend on the situation. Hmm, interesting answer. He's the first one who didn't say no. But I think back to what Fergal said, don't believe him, he's just trying to be current. So what's your podcast about? The first guy asks. I tell him and he's curious. What's it called? Are you on Instagram? We should connect. He hands me his phone, open to his Instagram. So I type myself in and follow myself. He takes it back and holds up my Instagram story of the Manchester football stadium. I was there today too, he says, and then adds, wait, you better follow me back. I'm doing that right now, I reply, holding up my phone. So you're from the States, he asks. I nod. Are you from Manchester? No, I'm from South Africa. I'm in town for business. We spend the rest of the night chatting with these guys. They buy us shots of coffee tequila. At this point, I'm not resisting. I take the shot. Just then, the married guy circles back and kind of motions with his head for me to follow him. These days, I understand that open marriages are a thing, so I can't assume that he's cheating, but regardless, I have no interest in anyone who's not 100% single. We spend hours, I think it was hours, chatting with these guys. At one point, the South African mentioned something about age. I say, how old are you? 37, he replies. How old are you? 47, I reply. I can see the shock actually register on his face. What? I thought you were younger than me. The way you look, the way you act. I smile. I can tell he isn't feeding me a line. We go back to chatting. Now, Josie buys a round of coffee tequila. I take the shot. The night goes on, and now the South African is telling me all about his work and what he wants for his future, as best as I can recall. Unfortunately, at this point, the four, possibly five glasses of champagne and three shots have taken their toll. As I'm talking to him, I realize I'm slurring my words. I'm listening to myself, and I'm saying good things. They're just coming out slurred. I'm trying to be serious, and all of a sudden I realize I'm drunk. I can't take myself seriously now. I feel like the book, you know the one, I mention it all the time, The Untethered Soul, you know, where I talk about the part feeling the feelings or thinking the things, and then there's the part that's observing that part. So this is like The Untethered Soul, The Drunkard Edition. There's the part of me saying the drunk things, and there's the part of me observing the drunk part of me. I say to him, damn it, I'm drunk, but I really mean what I'm saying. He laughs. Just then Josie says, we need to leave right now. This is a bad man. She's talking about the South African's friend. Just a second, I say, no, we have to leave now. Ugh, I hate to leave this guy, but she seems really upset. So of course, we're gonna go. We walk out and she tells me that the guy she was chatting with, the friend, very vulgarly asked her to go outside and have sex with him. 
she's married and he's married and she told him so, but he didn't seem bothered. We stumble back to my hotel. Honestly, I have no idea how we got here. I remember falling down in the street and Josie falling right on top of me. Seriously, I haven't been drunk in, I don't even remember the last time, honestly, but I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't fun. It really was. I pass out on the bed and finally get the first good night's sleep since I'd been here. The next morning, I open up my text messages and look at the photos Josie sent me from the night before. And then I look up my new friend on Instagram. Oh shit, I say out loud. I realize with horror that I have reverse beer goggles. Every single guy I talked to last night was gorgeous. Like supermodel good looking. And I was so drunk, I had no idea. I find this hilarious. Okay, so what's the lesson? Ridiculously good-looking people enjoy my company and they need love too. Yeah, and that includes Hubba Hubba. I fall back against my pillow. Ugh, Hubba Hubba. And then I realize I feel sick. My head hurts, my stomach hurts. I don't want to do anything. But I made an appointment to get my hair blown out for the rest of the weekend. Ugh. After a lot of moaning and complaining, I get dressed and leave the safety of my room. I walk out of the hotel and down to a place called House of Vanity. The woman there does a great job and my hair looks amazing. Okay, worth it. But now I'm meeting Josie and Charlotte for high tea. I'm a huge fan of afternoon tea. I can't get enough. And I'm super excited to finally meet Charlotte for the first time in person. We go into the hotel and there's a table of handsome guys sitting in the lobby. One of the guys is looking over at me instead of looking away like I always do. I keep my eyes locked on him and smile. The whole thing probably lasted five seconds, but it felt like forever. As we're waiting to be seated, I tell Josie and Charlotte, oh my God, I did it. I always look away, but I kept eye contact. Seriously, this is huge for me. It's something I always tell myself I need to practice doing. I did it and I didn't die. I feel victorious. The tea is amazing. Scones, tea sandwiches. Unfortunately, I'm still so sick that I can't enjoy the normal tea I would drink. Instead, I get ginger tea to settle my stomach. After tea, Josie heads home to celebrate her husband's birthday and Charlotte and I head to my hotel. We sit in the hotel bar and eat and talk and I really enjoy getting to know her better. And then she heads home and I go up to my room to retire for the evening at 6 p.m. I only have two nights in Manchester and I drank so much, I ruined my second night. Although it was completely worth it. I'm disappointed that I don't get more time to fully explore all Manchester has to offer, but I will definitely be back. But tomorrow, we fly to Dublin for a girls' weekend. Josie, Charlotte, and I meet at the airport. We're flying together and meeting our friend Haley in Dublin. While in the airport, Josie spots a large group of Scottish men wearing kilts. She dares me to approach them and say, Hi, I've just flown over from America, and I'm wondering what Scottish men wear under their kilts. I can't do it. I feel too embarrassed. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I consider myself to be pretty bold, but I can't do it. She says, they're in a large group. They're wearing kilts. They want you to ask them. I shake my head. So instead, she marches over and does it. I see her point to me and then motions for me to come over. Reluctantly, I walk over and one of the guys lifts his kilt and shows me his bare butt. We all laugh. I'm so in awe of Josie's bravery. She definitely inspires me. Again, we're flying Ryanair, and again, we're seated in the front row. But this time, we board the plane and notice that one of the three seats in our row is missing. 
the window seat has been removed as part of the emergency exit route. Josie and Charlotte sit in the two seats and then point to the middle seat across the aisle. They want me sandwiched between two good-looking Englishmen. Begrudgingly, I take my new seat. I hate the middle seat. I'm pouty, and I doubt either man is going to be attracted to that energy. Pretty soon, I can hear Josie laughing loudly. Charlotte looks over at me. Josie continues laughing. Charlotte turns to me and says, she's watching your stand-up comedy video. She then explains to the flight attendants who are sitting in their jump seats, smiling. That's our friend Rachel. She's a comedian and Josie's watching her show. Josie continues to laugh and the guy next to me by the window turns to me and says, well, that's good feedback, eh? I nod. Midway into the flight, I realize he gave me an opening. So I turn to him and ask, what's your accent? Where are you from? Newcastle, he replies. We start to chat. He asks about my comedy and the podcast and says he'll tune into it. He tells me he's divorced and not interested in dating apps. We talk some more. And he says that he's been a guest on a number of podcasts lately since he's promoting a new book. He mentions something about playing professional football, meaning soccer. We chat for the rest of the flight and he recommends some restaurants in Dublin. There's one that he can't remember the name of, but says he'll look up when we land. I quite enjoyed meeting him and it really served as a reminder. See how easy that was? This is how easily you can meet someone great on a plane. Again, what's that saying? Lightning can strike twice. We land in Dublin and head to our hotel. Haley's waiting in the hotel bar with a bottle of champagne and some freeze-dried strawberries. But the good times commence, or rather, continue. That night, we head to what's referred to as an old man pub. We sit and drink, and the ladies decide they want me to kiss an Irishman while I'm in Dublin. I feel like this is a good goal and agree to the assignment. We look around the first pub, and it seems like a lot of the men there are on dates with each other. Since it becomes clear that I'm not going to find anyone to kiss here, we decide to have a look on my dating app. Josie starts to swipe for me. First up, she swipes and matches a particularly strange-looking man. No, I take my phone back. I find three that I like to match. The first is 48, handsome, but shows that he's in travel mode. The second is JD. He's also in travel mode, meaning he's out of town, but he lives in Dublin. He responds immediately. We banter back and forth, and he promises to come home just to meet me the next night. He's 44 with piercing blue eyes. And the third is Barry. He's only 38, but he's adorable. His profile reads, Irish guy who spends a lot of time in the UK and US. He's 178 centimeters. Hey Siri, what's 178 centimeters in feet? At this point, we finished our drinks, so we leave and head to another old man pub. It's packed wall-to-wall men. Again, there's a group of men sitting on bar stools around a big barrel, and Charlotte bravely walks up and sits down right in the middle of them. Virgil had tasked me with an assignment for Dublin. I'm supposed to offer to buy a guy a drink. We quickly notice these guys are all married. I circle the bar a couple more times without any luck. So then we decide to head back to our hotel and try again tomorrow. The next day, I get a good morning response from Barry. He asks the plan for the day, and I tell him that we're going out in search of food and music. While we're eating at a place called Box Tea, which boasts that it specializes in the art of the potato, which I can confirm it does, I get a message from Barry, and he recommends the Temple Bar. So we finish our potato sampler platter and head there. We sip on Guinness and watch the band play. It's packed. As we leave, I message Barry and thank him for the recommendation. We chat a bit more and make a plan to meet later that night for a drink. 
I suggest seven since my friends and I have a dinner reservation at nine. But he suggests nine since he has dinner with his friends at six. So we decided to meet at my hotel bar after my dinner. The girls and I head to a swanky rooftop bar for dinner. I still haven't found anyone in Dublin to ask about marriage proposals or to buy a drink for, but I haven't given up. And the girls haven't given up on me kissing someone. Their money is on bear. The rooftop bar doesn't have any champagne by the glass, so I order a bottle. This doesn't seem like a great idea, but hey, when in Dublin, we have a fun night drinking, chatting, eating. Honestly, I'm really more interested in spending time with my girlfriends than meeting or talking to any guys, even Barry. Sorry, Barry. But as we leave the restaurant, at the girl's urging, I message him. He lives about 20 minutes from the hotel. Haley and Josie and I head to the hotel bar to have a drink and wait for Barry. We laugh and chat, and then we see a guy sitting at the bar that the girls want me to approach and offer to buy a drink. Meanwhile, at 11.15, Barry texts that he can be at the hotel in 30 minutes. The girls want me to wait for him and are happy to wait with me, but since we have to get up in less than six hours to grab our cab for our early morning flights, I tell them no. I text Barry, I really want to meet you, but I think it's too late. Haley and I head back to our room. Barry continues to text until past midnight. He wants to stay in touch. He says, very surprised a gorgeous woman like you is single. You'd be snatched up in Ireland. Exactly why I'm here, Barry. But alas, it seems no snatching and no kissing on this trip. We get up at 5 a.m. and catch our cab at 6 a.m. My flight to Amsterdam is delayed, so I sit at the Dublin airport until 11 a.m. I decide to check out the lounge. It's small, and there's a family of four sitting in the middle, sleeping. The dad is snoring loudly. While I sit there with five hours to kill, I decide to look up that footballer that I met on the plane. Turns out, he was a big deal, a legit professional footballer. I had met a girl on the first leg of my journey from Orange County to Dublin, and her husband is from Scotland. So I text her, and her husband knows exactly who he is. How funny, what are the chances? Again, you can meet the best people on planes. She and I actually have a date to go on a beach walk when we're both back in town. But anyway, back to the footballer. His book has really sweet reviews, talking about how he shares his mental health journey. He had mentioned that on the plane, and I thought about how I had just done a podcast episode about my mental health. I'm curious to read his book. I look him up on Instagram. He's not hard to find. I think about messaging him, and normally, I'm not afraid to message people and not get a reply, but I see it looks like he might have a girlfriend. I don't want to get into anything like that. He was very respectful on the plane, so I'm sure that's it. So instead of making it mean anything, I just take it as a fun wink from the universe to remind me just how quickly amazing people can come into your life. You just never know when it's going to happen. Like I say, there's always another guy right around the corner. Finally, it's time to board, and I think, hey, maybe I'll have someone amazing on this flight, too. No. It was actually a really annoying couple. The lady stroked her boyfriend's arm the entire flight from Dublin to Amsterdam. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours the wrong direction, flying away from America, by the way, with the most annoying couple next to me and the most irritating row of people in front of me. Okay, so definitely no magic here. I wait in the Amsterdam airport and I shop the duty-free shop for snacks to bring home to my boys. And then I board my flight home. Well, almost home. The second leg is 10 and a half hours from Amsterdam to San Francisco. But as you'll recall, I had used my points and I'm flying business class. Okay, I'm definitely going to find love on this flight. Nope again. I'm sitting across the aisle from a 10-year-old boy. Shoot. 
And on my last leg, from San Francisco to Orange County, I sit next to an elderly lady who has absolutely no interest in chatting with me. 25 hours later, I arrive home, shower, and crash out. The next morning, as part of my new routine, I pull three angel cards. What's the message for today? I ask the cards as I pull them. The message says, reflect on your journey. Oh yeah, good idea. I start to reflect on my visit. I'm so grateful. I had a great time with my friends and I didn't do anything I regretted. But what about the bucket list? Did I accomplish what I set out to accomplish? Well, I met that matchmaker. That was a big one. I think my biggest takeaway is my growth. In the past, I'd feel disappointed when I didn't connect with men on my trips. And even when I did, I'd often feel disappointed that it wasn't a deeper connection or a better connection. Honestly, no disappointment at all. I feel complete. I feel good. I do feel like mission accomplished. This trip was necessary. This trip was transformational. This trip was a catalyst for something that's coming, and I don't have to understand what that is. It's always working out for me. And now that I'm back home, I have a call with Fergal to update him on my assignment. I told him all about asking the men about marriage proposals. And then I told him about my feeble attempt to buy a guy a drink in Dublin while we were waiting in the hotel bar for Barry. So, how did it go? Tell me everything. Did you do what I asked? Yes, I did what you asked. So, trying to find a guy to buy a drink for was harder than I expected in Dublin. We went to Neary's. Neary's, amazing, yeah. And we went to um, the other old man pub, um, Kyo. Kyo's. Yeah, Kyo's. We went to both of those. I can't remember which was which, but one of them, definitely there were a lot of guys together that seemed like maybe they were together. Yes. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, it's like Pride Week, uh, or it was Pride Week. So I didn't want to step on anyone's toes there. So I just, in that scenario, I was just kind of like hung out with my girlfriends, had a great time, but they were on board with making this happen for me. So then we went to the other one and it was like packed. And I was with my friend Charlotte and she was amazing. She just walked. These guys were sitting around this um, big barrel with all these bar stools, all chatting a group of probably like 10. And she just walked right up and sat down. Like there was one stool there and she just sat right next to him. She's from Manchester. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Well, pretty quickly, I could see every single one of them was wearing a wedding ring, which is not, you know, what the scene is. So it was just, I couldn't find a way in. I would walk past a group of guys or two guys talking and they'd be so engrossed in each other. I was like, I'm not gonna like push my way in. There has to be some. So we go back to the hotel bar and we sit there and there's a man. He looks very Irish to me. Not that I know what Irish looks like, but he looks very Irish to me. So he's sitting at the bar and he turns around and he winks at me. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never been winked at before. Like that, if that's not an invitation, I don't know what is. Back in the day of like COVID where everyone wore masks, the advice I kept getting from dating coaches would be, you should wink at a guy. I'm like, there is no way if I wink at a guy, that's going to attract him. He's going to think I'm having a stroke or something terrible is happening. I am not going to do that. So I've never been winked at. I've never winked at anybody. And I was like, this is a sign. So my friends are like, go, go, go. And he's just sitting at the bar by himself. So I, I'm like, I have to do this. Fergal told me I have to do this. I'm going to go do this. So I go up and to sit down. He looks like an alien just landed on the bar stool next to him. He goes, what are you doing here? That's my, what I thought was Irish, but turns out he's, he's Polish. 
<laughs> He's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, you winked at me. Like I came to buy you a drink. No, 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 no. I buy you a drink. And I'm like, no, this is going in the wrong direction. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. And <laughs> so then he starts rubbing my leg and my friends oh. are like, should we save her? And I'm like, and they're like, they all decide amongst themselves that I have to like grow up and learn how to, you know, handle my own boundaries. So I'm still trying to like win the, you know, challenge and get him to let me <laughs> buy him a drink. Yeah. So I talked to him for a while. He was seriously shocked that I came over and I thought, you turned around and winked at me. What did you think was going to happen? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's actually funny. He probably never has people respond to that yeah. just because he's such a creeper, <laughs> but he didn't let me buy him a drink. And at least I did the exercise. Amazing. Amazing. Well done. A couple days go by and I start to wonder about hubba hubba. No communication since I sent him that photo from Dublin over a week ago. I contemplate sending him a text, letting him know I'm back in the state. I debate various ways of telling him so. Then I decide enough is enough. He asked me out before and I told him I was taking time to myself. I'm just going to text him and see if he wants to get a drink. All these strategies for communicating are confusing and just get in the way. I'm going to trust that my best strategy is just being true to myself. The self that feels good and confident and not needy and isn't attached to the outcome. So I look at my calendar. Shoot, my schedule is pretty packed. It's Thursday. And I have my boys until Saturday. Saturday, I'm spending the day in LA with a friend and then going to dinner and a musical with my mom and sisters. And then Sunday and Monday, I have dates planned. Okay, side note, these two dates were with guys from the dating app that I matched before I left on my UK trip and scheduled the dates before I left. These dates will prove to be uneventful and these guys will be lost forever when I delete the dating app, not shortly after arriving home from my trip. Okay, so back to Haba Haba. My only availability before I get my boys back again is Tuesday. And then the next week is 4th of July. No, it has to be Tuesday. So I decided to text him and say, hey, I'm back in the States. The trip was amazing, but really happy to be home. Looks like I'll be down your way on Tuesday if you're around. So just to be clear, I was not actually planning on being down his way. I'm making that up. But my gamble pays off because within 60 seconds, he responds. Awesome. Welcome back. Should be around Tuesday night. Awesome, I say. We have a lot of practice to catch up on. LOL, indeed. Rest up. He texts me every couple days. And when he sends me a photo of himself, I reply, um, is it Tuesday yet? Not soon enough. He replies. Then on Monday, he says, Hey, how was your weekend? I was eight or nine for Tuesday night. We can meet at my place and then walk to a fun little bar close by. Jeez, that's late. In his place, fear starts to creep in. I decide that I'm going to reply and tell him that eight works for me. And since I intend to Google his address, I say, eight works. What's your address? Okay, great. Might be closer to nine because I'm the last one in the clinic. Do eight Wednesday, though. This makes me feel a little better. He picked nine because of work and he's flexible. But unfortunately, I have my kids and dinner with my parents on Wednesday. So nine it is but I have to pretend that I didn't Google him and already know what he does for work. So I reply, ooh, sounds interesting. I don't even know what you do for work. Can't wait to hear more about it. Let's do tomorrow. Nine is fine. Fast forward, and now I'm sitting in the Whole Foods parking lot, chatting with my friend Julie, waiting for the clock to strike 8.45. All of a sudden, I realize, I did this. I made this happen. Oh, crap, I say. Didn't I just say I wasn't going to make things happen anymore? I was going to let the universe's plan unfold. 
oh shit, Julie, maybe I should drive home. Do you think I should drive home? No, she says calmly, you should stay. I tell her I have to get off the phone. I have to think. I walk inside Whole Foods and start shopping. As I'm walking up and down the aisles, I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing? I don't go to strangers' houses at nine o'clock at night. All of a sudden, a text comes through from him. Running a few minutes late. 9.15, okay? Ugh, what the hell am I doing? I don't go to strangers' houses at 9.15 at night. I feel like crying. I start freaking myself out. I go pay for my items and go back to sitting in my car. Now what? I still have 30 minutes to go. I'm just sitting there, scaring the crap out of myself. And who even invites strangers into their homes? How does he know I'm not a serial killer? I think I should go home. Just then, my friend Adam texts me. He always texts at just the right time. His text says, how are you doing? Any chance you can talk for a few, I ask. He calls and I tell him, I'm in San Diego and I'm scared. A hot guy is waiting for me at his place. Adam doesn't understand the problem. He tells me what he always tells me. Relax, just have fun. Talking to him makes me feel better. And I decide to take his advice. I'm going to try and relax and have fun. But text me when you leave and when you get home, he says. And then adds, I worry, you know. I head to Hubba Hubba's house, determined not to step foot inside his house. I'll just wait outside until he's ready and then we can walk to this fun little bar he mentioned. I pull up and the neighborhood is pitch black. No streetlights. Jeez. And of course, there's no parking in front of his place. I drive to the next street and I find a large spot. Someone pulls in right behind me. I freeze. I wait for them to get out, but they just sit there. Is that him? I've completely freaked myself out again. I text him, hey, I'm parked a street over. He replies, let me know. Get out of my car and start to cross the street. All of a sudden, I see him walking towards me. It's dark, so I can't really see him very well. This is so creepy, Rachel. What in the hell are you doing? It seems like we're deep in a residential neighborhood. And as, as I start to wonder where this bar is, he heads back the way he came and says, my place is just right over here. Um, your place? What about the bar? Maybe we're stopping by and he's grabbing his jacket. I reluctantly follow him back towards his place, up the stairs, and into a small house. It's super cute inside, very tidy. Awkwardly, I ask, should I take my shoes off? Yeah, probably for the downstairs neighbors. I grab a seat on the couch and finally get a good look at him. Whoa, he really is good looking. Can I get you something to drink, he asks. Oh, okay, so I guess we aren't going to a bar. What do you have? I reply uncomfortably. Tequila, vodka, beer. Sorry, I don't have champagne. Hmm, that's weird. He says it almost as if he knows that's all I drink. Uh, no thanks, I'm okay. There's no way I'm drinking anything from this guy. Water, he asks. Okay, sure, I say, to be agreeable, but still knowing I ain't drinking that. As he's getting the water from a jug in the fridge, I start to think about what my friend Michelle, the expert on serial killers, had said. Do the flashback. Do serial killers have a look to them? Well, okay, so certain psychopathic serial killers, we don't really know why, but they, they can tend to be pretty good looking. <laughs> oh, God. Just then, he walks over and locks the door and then dims the lights and then dims them some more. I'm sitting on the couch with my arms crossed and my jacket on. I probably look terrified as I start to say, I'm not sure what you think is going to happen here, but he looks at me, smiles, and starts walking towards me. In this moment, I'm not sure if he's going to try to kill me or hump me. And honestly, 
I don't know which one terrifies me more. That wraps season two. I hope you loved season two of the podcast as much as I loved making it. I'm already hard at work on season three. Come back later this year. If you're not subscribed to the podcast or following us on Instagram, be sure to do so so you can be the first to know when season three drops. Thanks as always for listening and rating and reviewing and sharing. I can't tell you how much it means to me and I can't wait to see you guys in season three. It's been the-